Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hedger University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. Whether you're an instructor, therapist, in the business, or have experienced equine assisted services yourself, we're glad you're here. Join us as we talk about the benefits, the science, to-dos, how-tos, and all of the reasons why what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist Katie King. Hey everyone, thanks for pushing play today on this one. I am excited to share this woman with you and her wonderful resources. Today I have Sabra Pipoli and her business, Hoofballs and Footfalls. They provide super high quality educational content related to equine assisted activities. So she does both in-person workshops and mentoring, and as well as has an extensive website with virtual opportunities. I mean, if there's ever anything you wanted to know or learn, her website has it available to you. Everything from lesson plan ideas, continuing education, mentorship and development for instructors, She has it all, and Sabra is just an awesome person to talk with, and she's super approachable. I just get these feelings from her that there is no question you can't ask her, and that she really, truly believes that everyone should have an opportunity to be an instructor if they want to be, regardless of what experience they have, and her business sets people up for success in exactly that way. Um, Sabra comes from a long history of horses and actually owns and operates her own Path Premier Accredited Center in her own backyard, in addition to all of her hoofballs and footfalls business. So she is a busy lady, and I was very thankful to have her make time for us today. So I hope you enjoy it. All right. Welcome, Sabra. Thanks so much for having me on. Super excited to be on your guys' podcast. Absolutely. Well, um, you are a wealth of knowledge in many areas, but I'm excited today to talk to you a little bit about the CTRI and um, instructor, registered instructor, mentoring process and all of that. But before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and where you're from and what you do? Sure. Sounds good. So like you mentioned, my name is Sabra. So Sabra Papoli, and I am located in beautiful Arizona. It's starting to get kind of hot right now as we're recording. So we're shifting into our quite warm weather, but I love the weather out here. But even though I'm located in Arizona, um, what I do in our industry, so the equine assisted services industry, it, I, I thankfully am able to do a lot of it either through travel, going and visiting, or in person. And here in Arizona, I've been involved in the equine assisted activities and therapies industry, now called the equine assisted services industry. It's <laughs> mouthful. I know, trying to get used to that. Um, I've been involved in it well over a decade. Um, and before that, I was a lifelong horse person. So started out in the, you know, like the mainstream typical showing. I did 4-H, I did pony hunters, I did equitation, jumpers, all that. And then when I found out about therapeutic riding, I actually did a college internship at a local program here and fell in love with it and then had a full immersion into the disability side of thing, things. And that was definitely um, where the learning curve was at. And even though I did wind up finishing college with a bachelor's in science and psychology and family development, I have chosen to specialize in this industry because I love it so much. So I spent almost 10 years at a large center here in Phoenix, got to experience a bunch of different job um, opportunities and positions there. 
And where I really loved working and focusing my attention on was instructor development and instructor mentoring. We developed a really good training program, um, had a lot of path workshops and certifications on properties. So we got to have a lot of we call them, you know, uh, faculty or evaluators come in. So we got to pick their brains there. We got to see, you know, a bunch of people test and what methods worked and what methods didn't and um, what mentors did to set their mentees up for success. And it was just an awesome learning environment. I'm so glad I got my starts there. And then a few years ago, um, my husband made a pretty big career change and we decided to Uh, have me stay home with my kids. And I was so worried about missing out on this industry that that is how my new business came about. And it's called Hoofalls and Footballs. And I teach lessons here on property. I have an inclusive program. So I work with traditional or able-bodied students and also students that need adaptive or therapeutic riding and groundwork as well. But everybody, you know, kind of overlaps. They get to know each other. And so it's a really, really fun program. And then on top of that, with Hoofalls and Footfalls, I also specialize in online and on-demand education that's affordable, professional, and accessible. And that could be anything from videos to blogs to one-on-one coaching and development through Zoom while traveling, go and do in-person clinics. And uh, you know, just really giving fellow instructors the tools and the encouragement to really go out there and excel and and just be safe professionals that provide awesome lessons that do right by their horses and their students and volunteers. So that's kind of where my passion lies and I've been having fun at it. That's amazing. We're so thankful for folks like you because your website is, and I've been there, so Hetra actually has quite a few webinars, like through you. We partner together a lot with a lot of that educational stuff. And, um, yeah, you're kind of a like one-stop shop for like, I need to get better at something. So you call Sabra (laughs) and, um, that seems to be super beneficial for a lot of folks. So tell me a little bit about your mentorship process, because I know that's a special certification above and beyond, you know, just being really good at it. Right. Right. So There's, um, so mentoring in general, there's a couple different terms that you can use for an instructor that is responsible for mentoring or training a new up and coming instructor. And we'll talk about kind of in the, the, I guess, lens of like the PATH International Certification, but this can also apply to like CHA for the Riders with Disabilities Certification as well. But PATH is a lot of, you know, what you and I do at our programs and everything will, will go that way. So through PATH International for the uh, the old way of certifying for therapeutic riding, which we called it the registered instructor level, which is the RTRI, and now it's transitioning into the new way, which is called the CTRI or the Certified Therapeutic Riding Instructor. Um, there is a person responsible for supervising and signing off on teaching hours for the new up-and-coming instructor. And that person in training needs to have at least 25 supervised teaching hours under a certified therapeutic riding instructor through PATH International. Now that instructor, there's actually, um, I don't know if it's like a rumor or a myth, but that that person has to be a PATH International designated mentor. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not the case. It is encouraged that you are a mentor through PATH. And that means that you've gone through a workshop and a training 
and you are a recognized mentor, it's actually not a certification. Um, that's another kind of like misunderstanding with the mentorship as well. But that training gives you uh, some really great tips on communicating with uh, your mentees, creating contracts, um, making sure that you're incorporating CAF and national standards in on your training, and just some you know best tips and practices for mentor development. But you can also just be a certified therapeutic guiding instructor who has had at least 120 hours of teaching being certified as well. Um, so, and that's just because they want to make sure you have some experience on your belt as an instructor and have you boost out in the arena before you go train a new up and coming instructor. So mentoring, um, you can also call that person a supervising instructor if they don't have the path designated mentor status. Uh, but yeah, those people are super, super important to the development and the success of instructors that are wanting to get training and go along that journey to becoming certified through Path International. So mentors are so crucial to our industry. And um, you know, I know I'm where I'm at because I've had some awesome mentors in my life as an instructor and as a person and as a mom that have really helped develop me. So um, I love working with mentors and other instructors to help give them the tools and give them what they need to know to be a good instructor that's training up our next, um, you know, generation, so to speak of new instructors. Right. So when you became, you know, a certified mentor, do you have to go through some extra, you know, I'm assuming it's so many hours and then some extra training or workshops or what was kind of the time commitment for actually getting your credentials to be a mentor? Mm -hmm. So through PATH, um, it's not a certification and there's really, there's nothing to stay up to date. Um, so like our, our therapeutic writing instructor certification, that is actual certified, you know, a process that you go through, you turn an application, you do all that. There's continuing education and everything that you need to do every couple of years. Now, the new way, old way was every year. Um, but with a, being a designated mentor through PATH, you just go through a one-time training. They used to do them in person. I know they're for sure online. I don't know if they do them in person anymore. And I know that has kind of changed the format, but I, I've done the online. So you go through that one-time online training. And then as long as you stay up to date in all of your other PATH stuff um, and you're a certified individual, then you are you can actually be listed on the PATH website as a mentor um, recognized by PATH. But uh, after that, there's not really any maintenance that you need to prove that you are staying up to date on the certification process or anything along those lines. So it's I really encourage people that are going through training to become a certified instructor. Um, this applies to those going through the therapeutic guiding, but also other certifications. So like um, therapeutic driving or adaptive vaulting or equine specialist mental health, you have to do your due diligence and make sure that you are choosing a good mentor or a good supervising instructor who is one certified and they're up to date on all their certifications and credentials and training. And two, that has some experience in training someone and they're familiar with the current process. If the person is a path recognized mentor, that's usually a bonus. But there are also some awesome supervising instructors slash like mentor 
type people out there that are not path recognized mentors, but they are certified and they've taught at least 120 hours as a certified professional. Right. And I think that has a lot to say, you know, what you had said about make sure that not only are they all certified and everything's good to go, they've, you know, had all their hours, but also that they've had experience mentoring somebody and that they know what that process is like, because, um, I mean, I've had professors that are like that. They know everything there is to know about a topic and they're like geniuses, but they're not so great at, you know, mentoring and shaping people who are up and coming and learning. Yeah. Do you say, I mean, what makes a good mentor or what do you feel like makes you a good mentor? So being a good mentor or being a good, uh, you know, up and coming instructor trainer, I think a lot of it boils down to you understanding what you have to do to be a good instructor. So just like we, as a therapeutic guiding instructor, we need to know how to ride horses and be able to interpret equine communication and be able to manage our volunteers to be able to safely teach our students what to do. You know, we have to know what we're doing in order to teach what we're doing. Same thing with instructing. So to be a good mentor and instructor in training, to know why we teach in a certain way and how we teach in a certain way and how that benefits us in a class or with specific students, and then being able to take that information and pass it on to an up-and-coming person is key. And I've seen a lot of really, really good instructors that are excellent teachers to their students out in class, but they struggle with taking that information of how to teach and going back to where they began, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago when they were just first starting as an instructor and um, taking a new instructor in training that's coming up alongside them for mentoring and starting from that foundation and building from there to where they're a capable instructor. So, you know, like you were saying, there's there's some really good uh, professors out there that they know their stuff, they can teach it to you, but then teaching it at that lower level and bringing you from the bottom up to where they're at, it can be difficult. So I've I found that the, the really, really good instructors that are mentors know how to take a person where they're at and give them the tools and the techniques and the support and the guidance to them progress them on, just like we progress our students on in, in class. You know, there's a lot of parallels between being a really good riding instructor, therapeutic riding instructor, and being a really good mentor. Mm -hmm. I have taken quite a few occupational therapy students uh, at the professional level, and it's a little, a little bit similar in that, you know, you're kind of mentoring them and teaching them how to do what you do. And Mm -hmm. I do think that there is something to be said about the return that you get from it. It's, it's really fun to watch people watch those skills click, you know, and see how they grow from the mentorship that you've given them. But it's also quite a big time commitment and a little bit more, I don't know that I would say stress, but a little bit more um, to, to take on that commitment of mentoring somebody. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It can be stressful. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely a big energy and a big time commitment if you if your process isn't right. So I think one of the big things that sets the mentors up for success and also the mentee up for success is making sure that that person, when you're starting your training, that they are at the right point in their journey and becoming an instructor to then go ahead and, and be ready to go out in the arena. 
So um, I have a full mentor bootcamp training where I go into detail of like my process that I've refined over the past decade and all the mistakes I've made and sharing what mistakes I've made and how I corrected those. And so everyone else can learn from it. It's on hopefallsandfootballs.com. But um, one of the things I go into is the importance in screening and doing like a pre-check of that person that you're bringing in before you start those supervised hours. And so like when you do, I'm, I'm assuming when those OT students come out and do their, their practicum time, there's certain classes that they've got to pass and there's certain scores and everything that they've got to have and have that fundamental knowledge there before they get to go apply it in real life. Is mm-hmm. that, that accurate for the OT? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They have to have that kind of firm foundation before you start trying to apply things. Yeah. So that same thing. Um, and I think as mentors, we want to say yes to everybody. And yeah, come on, come start. But we say yes too soon. And we don't do our due diligence as the mentor and as that professional to check and make sure that that person is where they're at in their own riding skills and their handling horses on the ground and that their, their groundwork skills um, in understanding, you know, volunteer management or even going through volunteer training and knowing what that's like. So we have to let those people know, the, the soon-to-be instructor in training, what knowledge they need to have coming in to set them up for success, set us as mentors up for success. And then overall, that'll help decrease the stress for us and the mentee um, if we make sure that they have those foundational skills there before we ask them to start teaching or managing any lessons. Right. And at Hetra, I mean, we're blessed to have quite a number of instructors that have been there many, many years um, and are quite knowledgeable. So we kind of have those those supervisors and mentors in-house and we have our own process with, you know, like you said, you have to check all the boxes. You have to volunteer so many hours and be a leader so many hours, you know, yada, 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 so that you have that good foundation before you even step into the arena to start teaching. But I mean, what would you say to programs that, you know, might not have an in-house, you know, ability to do that? So they have to, they might have to seek those supervisions in other places, or have you ever had people come to you, like to your center um, and teach under you, but they came from somewhere else and that kind of process? Yeah, absolutely. So I've experienced that people coming in for training, both at larger center. So where we had multiple instructors that were supervised and we filtered people through um, having multiple supervising instructors or multiple mentors. And then also people coming in and doing mentoring with me one-on-one now at my smaller program. And the process is the same. So whether they're coming in to be trained and work with you or coming in to be trained to then go out and go out on their own, the standards for application was the same. So we would have them do a riding test to make sure that the riding was up to where it needed to be. Um, So the old way, the RTRI way, you used to have to do a writing test and a teaching test for certification. And I can say that as a mentor and as a host site rep, so watching all those people come through certification, the writing was the component that most people did not pass out of the writing and the teaching. So I found that in the mentoring program and training program that that I've kind of refined over the years, making sure that that person has a solid foundation of riding is huge. And depending on what your program can offer, what horses you have there, you might have to tell that person, hey, you're not at that level yet. Here's 
three things I want you to work on. Here's how it relates to the instructor criteria and how it's going to benefit you as an instructor later. Here's a, a reference of really good instructors that you should go take lessons from. And let's touch base in three to six months. So putting that responsibility, one, on the, the person who wants to get that training and two, making sure that you know, if you can't give lessons to that person at that time for whatever reason, that's okay. But give them some resources and give them specific guidance. Um, and then same with, you know, people coming in with no knowledge of disabilities or uh, limited knowledge of how to teach, that's okay. It's that horse knowledge and the horse sense that that is something that they might have to go get experience with first before they come into our center. And that's just because a lot of the horses that we work with in the therapeutic riding or the adaptive riding world are really well-trained and they don't have a lot of those bigger horse, you know, behaviors that, that we might see in a more typical lesson program. And so more I, subtle. yeah, they're more subtle, the more sane usually. And so I encourage those that want to come in and be instructors in our industry to go get experience with more, I don't want to say real horses, but more real life horses instead of our absolutely amazing program horses <laughs> that are a lot more forgiving and a lot more tolerant. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, having lots of resources, if you guys can't provide it there. And then um, if for some reason they can't do training in-house, network with those around you and build a list of references. So even now, even though I mentor and coach and train, and that's my specialty, if it's something that I don't have experience in and I need to get someone else some more help and resources, I will reach out to fellow instructors I know and and resource them or network them out. So yeah, build, build your network, build your resources um, and know what your center can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And know that that's okay, that you don't have to do everything as a mentor. This episode of the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast is sponsored in part by Equiforce. Equiforce is a database that allows you to track every facet of your organization, from horse, donor, and volunteer management, to scheduling, grant tracking, incident reports, and tracking participant progress, too. This is not a one-size-fits-all setup. Instead, Equiforce personally works with you to learn how your facility functions and takes note of your specific terminology so that they can create a unique system to match the needs of your organization. And of course, Equiforce provides an ongoing training and support so that your database can grow with you. Visit them at www.equiforce.com. That's E-Q-U-I-F-O-R-C-E.com. This episode is also sponsored in part by Wooden Horse Corporation and the Equisizer. The Equisizer is a handcrafted, non-motorized mechanical horse used by Equine Assisted Service Programs worldwide. The Equisizer requires no electricity, tools, or maintenance and can be used indoors or out for evaluations, warm-ups, stretching, mounting, dismounting practice, and volunteer training, beer, and build confidence with students, clients, and volunteers. It can easily carry the weight of two adults, offering the unique option to ride tandemly. To learn more about the Equisizer, visit Equisizer.com. That's E-Q-U-I-C-I-Z-E-R.com. So on the same, in the same kind of breath, there are obviously multiple levels of writing and adaptive writing and, and that spectrum is very large. 
And we talked a little bit before we came on um, and recording about you might be a very high level dressage writer or have these, you know, very advanced skills, but then can you teach skills to an adaptive writing class that's a lot lower level? Maybe they're just working on using their reins to stop, you know, so that being familiar with, with disability for, you know, adaptive writing or therapeutic writing, but then also being able to teach the broad spectrum of skills. Mm-hmm. And at, at Hetra, we have, we have the wide variety. We have kind of instructors at each level, but I do think there are some centers that might only might have kind of a sweet spot of participants and to no one's fault of their own, but just kind of, that's the way their participant pool has been. And so how do you, you know, learn to teach those higher skills, or if you're a higher skill center, how do you learn to teach those lower skills too? Yeah, absolutely. So good question of, yeah, how do you diversify? And, um, you know, I think, People coming into the training process, whether they're coming in as a very experienced high-level rider and then having to go then figure out how we teach you know the super involved students and those that are where our progression and reigning, our, our progression and woes are like microscopic versus like, all right, we mastered reigning and woeing today, and now we're moving on. You know, the bigger progressions to maybe an instructor who learned how to ride later in life. And they're a newer equestrian, but still have that foundation. Um, I think a good mentor over time and over practice and, you know, seeking out other mentors who have more experience too, you learn to adapt your mentoring process to meet your instructor in training where they are. So if you have someone coming in who might be a very experienced, higher level rider, excuse me, and so then teaching them how to break down that that higher level skill and do you know what we would call task analysis and bring it breaking it down with those baby steps and then apply it to the lower level rider. So how how do we take this big skill that we know the idea of and that we do it like we can do it breathing, you know, it's just second nature to us with posture, woes or whatever it might be. And how do we break that down and communicate it to our students? And then on the flip side, if we have an instructor in training that is newer to riding and maybe they started riding in adulthood and it's been a couple of years, but they're still, you know, they passed the, the screening for the riding they're, they've got the solid riding level. How do you then encourage them to seek out further education so that then they can continue to progress their riders? Um, Videos are a big thing. So if you at your program are not able to, you you have like your sweet spot, like you were talking about of whatever your rider population looks like, giving them videos to go watch and learn um, for the instructors that are maybe newer to riding. I encourage them to go attend local traditional clinics just to pick up on more ways to explain things and how to progress people in a more traditional format, so to speak. And with the more advanced equestrians coming in and maybe learning how to teach to the more involved students, um, either filling them out to a local center where I know that they have maybe a, a more involved population than what I would have and having them go and watch a network or maybe try to find adaptive writing videos for them to watch. That's why with footfalls and footfalls, I try to provide sample videos is because we can use those videos as learning experiences for those where even if you can't have it there on property, 
well, let's go watch a video and let's talk about it and, and go from there. And especially with this whole COVID and how stuff's kind of changed recently, videos have been an awesome way to um, increase the the um, what, the chance of getting that person more of a diverse education. And then also for both, encouraging them to always continue growing and pushing themselves to be a better instructor, no matter where they're at. If they're high on the horse end, you know, or, or newer on the horse end, wherever it might be, just teaching them to be a, 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 a constant student of teaching because it's a never ending process. Yes. I have every, almost every podcast I do, this comes up in some way, but with horses, with instructing, with really anything, you know, if you think you're a, a master at it and there's nothing else to learn, then it's not the right thing for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, I can't remember what, what it's called, but there's an actual term for it of, you know, the more, you know, and the more skilled you are at your trade, the more you realize you don't know. Um, there's, there's an actual term and I can't remember for it, but yeah, it's, a, um, it's crazy. Cause you know, even though I'm definitely a better instructor now, you know, over, over a decade into this whole journey, um, I I'm realizing more and more that like, I'm never going to be able to learn everything I want to learn. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. I think that's part of the, why I love this job so much. Right. Always room for improvement and growth. So tell me a little bit about, since you've been, you've seen the instructor certification and mm-hmm. all the different levels of that, it's kind of grown and changed over the years. And it's, the path one specifically has changed a lot in this last year or two, right. Um, mm-hmm. to the new CTRI process and the testing process. And there's been a little bit of, um, not just not discrepancy, but, um, talk, I guess, about that new process and how those instructors are going through that. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So there has been, you know, I've tried to reserve judgment on, um, how I think the process is going to go and just waiting and seeing how it really plays out because change is always hard. So, you know, we we're, we're used to the old way, the registered way for, you know, since I started. Um, so for me, 10, 12 years of knowing that process and then now, oh my gosh, we're going to have to learn a new way and a new process. But what I have found is that one, I can, I can tell any mentors or certified or uh, supervising instructors that right away that really my mentoring and training process, the way it was, has not changed from training someone to go and then be a, a, a quality and a thinking and a capable registered level therapeutic riding instructor and succeeding, succeeding at the registered level to training someone who's then going to go and be successful at the, the CTRI or the certified therapeutic riding instructor level and process because the training and the foundation I put on my instructors doesn't change. Um, at the very end, there might be, you know, a couple little tweaks that we make to make sure that it applies to that specific little certification that we're going for. And, you know, there's some I, I, I joke that it's for playing the game of certification, you know, when you're sending in the video and when you're sitting to take a test, but just like any other degree you get or any college thing, you know, that's why people go sit and take SAT training courses is so that you can learn those tips and those tricks to be successful. Um, but I can say that that through the change of this whole RTRI to CTRI, there are a lot of, a lot of things are more same, more the same than they are different. Um, and 
the video. So the video with the CTRI process, um, you go through this application phase. There's five different things that you have to do. You have to, you know, make sure you volunteer, get experiences, volunteer, make sure you have your course knowledge down. Um, and then you also turn in a video of you teaching a warm up, and then it ends with you teaching the pattern. Well, this video of you teaching this warm up and then teaching the pattern is actually very similar. And I'm not going to say it's identical, but this video in this process was actually kind of already in existence in the old way, but a lot of people maybe just didn't know about it because in the old way, in the registered therapeutic writing instructor certification process, where you had to teach a, a, a lesson to two students with disabilities, and then you you yourself had to go ride a warm-up of a horse and then a pattern. If someone physically couldn't go ride a horse for whatever reason, maybe they had an old back injury, they were wheelchair-bound, they were pregnant, whatever it was, um, you would have to then instead teach the warm-up and teach the pattern to a rider on that horse and it's like you're telling them what to do if you were on that horse. So this new video for the CTRI process, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's new. It's completely different. Well, actually, it was kind of already in existence before, but it just wasn't as common because not a lot of people took that accommodation the old way. They would go ride instead of going and teaching. Um, so, yeah, the video has been a big thing. Um you know, it really does fall back on the mentor, though, to make sure that that person has experience and is a good person to be teaching people with disabilities, because that's not really evaluated anymore like it was the old way. So it it really does fall on the mentor, the supervising instructor, to If you're going to sign off on hours of this person having experience before you put your name or your certification number down on there, that they've earned it and that they're capable because they're just, the process has changed a bit more. Um, so I would say that the change from the registered way to the new CUTRI way, I, there's pros and cons of both um, that I've seen, but I think it's really making mentors and supervising instructors up their game um, and up their responsibility of what we're signing off on and what we're putting our, our, our name on for training, which is, I, I've developed a lot more mentor training and mentor support or supervising instructor support because, yeah, there's kind of a lack right now of, well, how, where do I learn to be a good mentor or where do I learn how to train these instructors? Mm -hmm. um, I thankfully had some really good mentors that taught me how to do it. And now I want to pass that on to other instructors so they can train people and be successful at the old process, the new process, the CHA, IRD process, or even just being a good, solid instructor, even if you're not certified, even though I am a big fan of certification because it's a good process. But um, yeah, so. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say is that, you know, the, the switch has made the mentors or the supervisors more responsible, which makes an even bigger push to resources like yours. How do I become a good mentor? How do I really foster growth? Um, and independence in these new instructors. And that's why we're thankful to have resources like yours. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share about what you have to offer or hoof falls and footfalls kind of as we're wrapping up here? Sure. Yeah. So I would definitely encourage people to definitely check out the falls and footfalls. So it's hooffallsandfootfalls.com. 
And I have a lot of free resources that are on my website. So I've got some blogs on there. I have a YouTube channel as well. If you search Hoof Falls and Foot Falls on YouTube, it'll come up. A lot of the videos actually meet continuing education requirements, which is nice. And um, Facebook, you can find me on Facebook as well. And I try to do a lot of like teaching tips and equipment tips and um, bring awareness to equine welfare and how we can partner with our coworkers. And then if you want even more education past the free level, because it does take a lot of time and effort to develop it, as as you guys know, because you guys have an awesome education series as well, check out the online courses. And that is where they can find um, Hooffall and Footfall, the more formal courses that I offer as well as there's Hetra University courses on there. You guys have some awesome, you know, half hour and hour webinars on there. And uh, those are able to be registered on there. And then there's also the Intuitive Instructor Club. And that is a collaboration of myself and three other master and advanced level instructors, as well as a driving, a therapeutic driving instructor. Um, and we also have guest presenters on every once in a while. And that is, we have at the time of recording, over 60 hours now in our education database from videos that are volunteer management to program development to equine welfare to matching horses and riders to disabilities as they relate to adaptive or therapeutic riding. Um, so just, I guess, in a nutshell, go check out hooffallsandfootballs.com or intuitiveinstructorclub.com. Uh, check out Hetra University. You guys have some awesome stuff on there too. And I'm so happy we we're able to partner um, I know the nightmare of setting up all the technology and everything. So I'm glad I could take care of that and host your guys's wonderful content to get it out there to everybody. But yeah, and then just reach out to me if you have if anyone has questions. Um, a lot of, of what I do is if I don't have the resources for you, I will find you a resource because I, I have a lot of networking um, that's done in the industry and I love putting people in contact with the right people to help them be successful in their journey. And I know I don't know everything. And so I'll, I'll help people get to where they need to go. Awesome. We're so thankful for people like you, Sarah, who puts all that information at literally your fingertips um, at whatever WW it is. And uh, just, I would encourage everyone to continue to grow personally, professionally, seek the knowledge, mm-hmm. and just keep growing every single day. Yeah. Fall in love with the process of always being a student. Yes. All right. So as we close here, I end my podcast with the same question every week. You can tell me either about your heart horse or a horse that has really, really impacted you in some way. Or if you don't have a heart horse, that's okay. You can tell me about like your spirit animal kindred spirit who you most (laughs) identify with. Okay. Uh, so heart horse, uh, That's a tough one because I think all of the horses I've gotten the privilege of working with over the years, they all have their unique, you know, relationship that I've kind of built with them. And it's like friends, you know, you have different friends or different members of your family that you appreciate in different ways. But I kind of have two heart horses that come to mind. Um, One is my pony Brie. I've actually had her since I was five or six. And I still have her. She's out in my backyard right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's and she kind of just teaches kids groundwork and stuff, but she's a small pony. Um, she was a, 
I guess you can call her a rescue horse. Um, but she was mean when we first got her. Um, I we have like the little VHS videos of me like sobbing and crying, like I want to ride the mean pony. And then now she is the best pony ever. And she taught both my kids how to ride. She's taught so many of my students how to ride. She worked alongside me at the old program I was at, and she actually was leased to that program for several years. And she's just one of those, like, when people think of a pony and how magical they can be and, like, you know, they want a pony, but then they don't realize how evil ponies can be. <laughs> that pony now, but it took a lot of years. So I appreciate her in that way. But my current heart horse, I guess you could say, his name's Ducky. And if you're on my website and you see a black and white warm one, that's him. And he's just, he's a goofball and he communicates so well. And, and I've had him since he was three. And he's 13 now. And so just building that working relationship with him of one, he's my personal horse, but two, he also works alongside me in my lessons and just the level of communication we have and his personality and how he is. And, and even his little quirks that annoy me sometimes, just like a person in human relationships, you know, everyone has quirks. He's just, he's an awesome horse and it's, they're both. Free the Pony and, and Ducky too. It's one of those ones of like, even though Ducky, I know I have probably another 10 or 15 years. It's, it's like one of those like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do when it's not here anymore? <laughs> so yeah, but but I think all my guys that I work with, they're a heart horse in a way because they each have their own strengths and characteristics and personalities that bring something unique to every lesson. So yeah, that's that's a, a good question, but it's a tough one. But yeah, I do I do have favorites, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's yeah. interesting how there are um different heart horses and different heart animals, even for different stages of your life and different things that you need at that point in your life that they can provide to you. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us, Sarah. It's been really fun and a wealth of knowledge. I learned a lot today, um, even as someone who's going through that process right now as we speak. So I will drop all of your uh, information and the, what your website, Hoofalls and Footfalls and all that in the show notes. So uh, listeners go check Sabra out and we'll catch you all next time. Great. Thank you so much. And again, feel free, anyone who's listening, feel free to reach out and ask. And it's a lot of information and reach out to Hetcher. They also our wealth of information as well and have some awesome staff uh, that are a huge asset to our industry as well. So thank you so much, Katie. Yes. Thank you, Sabra. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Riding Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high quality educational offerings to our participants and the equine assisted services community. Craving more content like this? We invite you to check out our series of webinars and much, much more over at hetrauniversity.org. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by clicking on the link in the show notes below or visit us at hetra.org. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, my biggest thanks to you all for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.